This is the Mental Health Movement Podcast, Voice for the Voiceless, a weekly podcast hosted by Chris Milson, a podcast to help break the stigma of mental health and to remind everyone that it is okay to be not okay, and to remind those that they are never alone. Please also note that Chris is not a psychologist or psychiatrist and is speaking from research and experiences. Trigger warning for those for the possible explicit content and language. What's up, Warriors? Welcome to another episode of the Mental Health Movement Podcast, Voice for the Voiceless. I'm your host, Chris. Today, I have a special guest. He is a moderator on the Mental Health Movement Podcast, and he's been my best friend for the past 10 years. Uh, Caleb, say what's up to the camera. Hey, everybody. My name is Caleb, and very happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And like he said, I'm in the Mental Health Movement group with him. And I'm just very excited to be on the podcast today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, I appreciate you doing this because I know this is a pretty heavy podcast for you. And of course, uh, myself, considering the topic Um, before we get into today's topic, uh, there is a specific day of July. And yes, guys, we're already in July. Cannot believe it. Um, July 24th is International Self-Care Day. So make sure practice self-care, you know, whether that's taking a walk, whether that's watching your favorite show or movie, you know, taking an Epson uh, salt bath, you know, whatever self-care means to you, be sure to practice self-care because if I can preach self-care every podcast, I absolutely will. So going into today's topic, we're going to be talking about addiction and mental health. Um, I know for a lot of people, especially in this pandemic, uh, it's been a very heavy topic. You know, it's kind of one of those things that society throws a stigma on and just doesn't really like to talk about addiction uh, without, you know, saying, oh, well, addicts this, addicts that. And I feel like when when I do these podcasts with people, whether it's with a guest, whether it's not, I, I like to express that there's so much information on the internet, right? There's so much research you can do on, you know, whatever topics I do talk about. And a lot of them that I read into, a lot of it's like self-opinion, like, oh, well, addicts don't get help for themselves because, you know, X, Y, Z. I want to do these podcasts to make sure that that stigma is somehow broken, that there's people out there that are going through this and know that they don't have to go through it alone, that they don't have to feel ashamed for their vices. Uh, Addiction can be both either physical or behavior. You know, uh, first thing that comes to mind, obviously, is substance abuse, you know, but it goes so much further than just substance. You know, it goes further than drugs. It goes further than alcohol. You know, it could be uh, you're addicted to eating so much. You're uh, sexual addiction, you know, addicted to self-destruction is one that I've brought up in a previous podcast that sometimes you just get so consumed in doing the wrong thing for yourself that you just can't stop because it's just one of those things where you're feeding your body uh, a constant routine, whether that's negative or positive, and you just can't stop. And of course, self-harm, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's like a, it's an addiction of a sort, but it, it's a different kind of addiction. Again, it goes to behavior. Uh, you know, you want to feel that release that you're not getting from life. You want to feel something again. So 
That being said, um, Caleb, being as both you and I have experienced uh, addiction and uh, the after, after effects, you know, whether it's family, uh, so on and so forth, can you tell me why you think uh, addiction is be, uh, becoming growingly worse? Uh, why do you think addiction is becoming a bigger problem than it ever has been? Um, it's a lot to do with the doctors prescribing a lot of the stuff and uh, over prescribing in some cases. I mean, every medical problem has an answer with a pill now. I mean, I have, there's not a friend that I don't have that hasn't had it, that does have children that haven't had them recommended for Adderall or Ritalin. And it starts at, you know, five or six. Oh, I couldn't sit in my chair long enough. So I was given Adderall. Right. Oh, I have depression. Now I'm giving Xanax. Right. Oh, I have, you know, pain. So now here I'm getting painkillers all the time. Right. And, you know, to, to that point too, uh, you know, it kind of goes into that uh, why people don't believe in therapy or why people don't believe in doctors, because like you said, it starts somewhere, whether that's doctors, whether that's your home environment, uh, the group of friends you have, whatever, there's always a label thrown on you for something. You know, like you said, you have depression. All right, here's some medicine. You have anxiety, here's some Xanax. And once you get so used to uh, somebody giving you something to make sure that pain goes away, you just don't stop. And I feel like with this pandemic, the last three years, uh, you know, obviously it has felt like one very long year. Um, and I, I feel like when you're confined to the four walls of your home or uh, you can't see family members because you couldn't travel. Um, it, it's it's a shame that our healthcare is the way that it is, and people just genuinely don't want to help other people. You know, uh, it's it's kind of like what I said with with uh, therapy not being for everybody because some people in the mental health field just aren't uh, you know there to help people. They're just all right. Here's a pill. There's my paycheck. End of story. Right. Um, well, how, how does that make you feel? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, it reminds me of a uh, Freaky Friday. Uh, you know, obviously it was a comedy movie, um, but there's that scene where she doesn't know how to be a psycho uh, psychologist. And she's like, oh, just ask them, how does that make you feel? And while they make a joke out of it, it it's kind of something you can pull out and be like, that's kind of how uh, there's there's quite a bit of psychologists, psychiatrists that are like that, that don't really listen and just kind of here's a prescription. Oh, well, you have back pain instead of exercising. Here's some pain medication. And then you just keep feeding that demon of addiction and it just doesn't stop. Right. Um, so people with addiction continue to be blamed for their disease, uh, feeling shamed or, uh, and refusing to seek treatment as a result due to the stigma surrounding addiction. Um, why do you think there's such a big stigma with addiction and how do you think we can help fight that stigma? Um, maybe it's more resources, more people talking about it because I know, you know, like I've had family and, you know, parents and stuff that are addicts and I've always had like the, well, they make their own choices, you know, they should, you know, they should know right from wrong, but it's, right. it's more than just knowing right from wrong. Like you can't make them want to get better, but there should be definitely more resources besides resting them, throwing them in jail, letting them get back out, throwing them back in jail. Right. Um, so I guess that just kind of goes right into a follow-up question. Um, do you think addiction is a disease or do you think it's a choice? 
because I had this conversation last night with a friend and basically put it as circumstantial. So it's, it's both. I mean, diabetes is a cho- is a disease, but you can eat too much and get diabetes. Right. You know, if I, if I pound sugar for few years straight with no exercise, I can get diabetes. Right. Did I choose diabetes? No, but that's the result of choices. So, you know, except I've watched my parents go through different treatment, whether it's, you know, the methadone clinic and stuff like that. And that's just swapping one addiction for another. I feel like there's some kind of trauma from their childhood that like got them to start trying substances and once you know you start trying yeah unless you can wake up and realize this is what i want to do you're it's kind of at that point it just becomes too late you know it's a one of those things like you said our parents growing up and their parents before them didn't have the resources that they have now uh if you had mental health struggles you know they call it depression they call it whatever they lock you up and throw you in a psych ward that was that man up very yeah exactly and that was that generations of man up you know that was that generation of oh well you can't have depression you're crazy you know uh and and again i i think it goes uh in the same conversation that, that we just had about uh throwing a label on everything and i know you and i have extensively talked about uh, throwing labels on everything. I agree that all these struggles do exist. You know, anxiety oh, is yeah. a thing. So sure, there's kids that need Adderall right. and stuff like that, but you're not supposed to feel happy all the time. Like, right. There's sadness, like there's ups and downs. So, like, so people immediately have one bad day and be like, oh, I'm depressed. I have depression. Yeah. Or they get like a little anxious about a big test and think like, oh no, I got anxiety. Right. Like, no, you just felt anxious. You felt it, and then it went like it comes and goes. And you said something that was very uh, that I wanted to point out too was um, you mentioned how you know somebody's having a bad day and they they throw the word depression on there. Um, that's something that has irked me for a very long time because I have friends uh, that we have mutual friends that throw around the word depression because you know something isn't going right in their life. Uh, do I doubt their feelings? No, but I think they're misinterpreting how they're yeah. how they're feeling. Depression isn't something you just flick a switch and be like, oh yeah, I'm depressed. Nope, not depressed today. There's sadness and then there's depression. Depression, the happiest person in the world can be depressed and tomorrow not want to get out of bed for a week. It happens. And again, depression leads to addiction sometimes and you know again addiction is not always drugs it's not always alcohol it it could be you know you just sit in bed all day you eat you sit in bed and and just not take care of yourself and again that goes with the self-destruction uh addiction that i said before a lot of people either aren't informed enough to be able to identify what struggles that they have and that's probably why they go to doctors and they get prescribed and like, oh, well, I've never had this happen to me before. So maybe it is depression. Um, you know, I was diagnosed very young uh, with depression and it was hereditary. You know, it's something that is in my family that just, you know, I didn't just wake up one day and, and say that I was depressed. You know, I didn't fail a test and say, oh, well, I'm depressed now because that happened. You know, it's something that you're born with and something that evolves much like addiction addiction can evolve and can get so much worse 
So that kind of leads into um, what signs to look for with addiction. And there was one on here. Uh, I'll read first just because I, it didn't click until after I kind of read into it. Um, so increased tolerance is a sign of addiction. I never put that together with, with a sign of addiction because I know people that have drank their entire life and, you know, oh, well, they can have 20 beers and not get drunk or they can have 10 beers and not get drunk. Yes, yes. I never put that with addiction. I just thought it was a, oh, well, then that's just who they are. They can tolerate. They're not a lightweight. Right. Stuff like that. Exactly. So it's interesting when you research uh, addiction and what exactly it is, because there are people that may not label themselves as an addict, but you know, alcoholics, uh, whatever you're addicted to substance wise, you know, there's, um, you're never an addict when you can have access to it. It's the days when you run out and have the money to get it and can't get it. Right. When you realize like, Oh shit. It's like, I've had talked to my dad and stuff about their, you know, their pill addiction back in the day. Right. And, you know, long story short, the guy prescribed my mom, the oxy thirties or whatever. And my dad was upset because they weren't, you know, perk tense or some shit. And excuse my language. Oh, no. no and okay. she, like, word for word was like, oh, no, the doctor told me, like, one of these is like three perks. She's like, my dad stopped and was like, oh, and I ate three of them. Oh, and he's God. like, right there, I knew I was done. It's like, we went about a good six or seven months without not having them. It's like, then we couldn't get them one day. And that, like, that's when you realize people don't, you don't realize, you know, you're an addict throughout the whole process. They just think that, you know, you wake up one day and you're on the streets but it's like it's the ones that have the money that can get it 24 7 are still at it people that go can go to the bar every day oh i'm not an addict i could quit whenever right no you're you're addicted to going to the bar every day or drinking every day whatever the case may be getting pills even you know weed stuff like that because i personally smoke but i smoke a lot probably more than i should but yeah and, and you know uh i know you and i have had had this conversation about smoking weed as well, where while it's not the same as doing heroin at all, uh, you know, it doesn't do that kind of harm to your body. It is a psychological thing in terms of addiction where, you know, some people uh, can't go a minute without it. I, I know people that are really bad with smoking. And again, you know, nothing, nothing against anybody who smokes, you know, if it helps you, it helps. You. But again, I think it's time for society to, to identify that, you know, it's, it's a personality thing, but it's also, it's also a psychological thing too. Like if you tell yourself you can't go a day without smoking, you're an addict, you know, that that's just cut, cut dry. You know, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I, I feel like that's something, you know, it's not something go to rehab for because you're smoking weed, you know, whatever you get hungry and all that stuff, whatever. But, you know, uh, I feel like, if you're putting all your time, all your money, all everything, you're an addict, you know, it's people that smoke weed, you know, can, I guess, stop essentially whenever they want. Yeah. And there's a difference for, you know, people who do need it for whatever, you know, like back pain, cancer pains, stuff like that. Right. Especially now that they're becoming legalized, we are in a uh, legal state. So we're not condoning anyone doing anything illegal in their states. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, uh, other signs of addiction is a significant time uh, with substance and behavior, um, behavior changes. Um, if you notice that somebody 
can't go without something for, you know, like an hour. Like nicotine is a great example of addiction. My dad cannot go longer than 10 minutes without a cigarette because it's a psychological thing. His stress activates and his anger just kind of goes hand in hand with that. And that's something that obviously that whole generation went through was cigarette addiction. Oh, yeah. Same thing with my dad. My dad went, to, uh, went away for a year on a vacation, so mm-hmm. to speak. And first hour he's out, not even first few minutes, he's like, oh, I was at the store for a pack of cigarettes. And you just went a whole year without them. Right. Because you know you couldn't get them. But now that you know you can get them and they're available, it's immediately, you got to have it. Right. And kind of like what you were saying to the the having having access to it opposed to not having access to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it, the the behavior change is something that I feel like is probably the most obvious when it comes to addiction, just because you notice like somebody's change in behavior if they're not drinking all the time, and you know, uh, if they're if they have withdrawals, you know, withdrawals is another another yeah. sign of addiction. Short tempered. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of people that are in that group with that person sometimes won't really put two and two together because they're so used to seeing that person, you know, uh, use, uh, so to say, uh, so to speak. And it, it just, it's difficult to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's difficult to help somebody with an addiction problem when you don't realize that they're, uh, uh, that they're addicted to something. Or when they don't want to accept that, like, I've never, like with personal friends that I've called out, it's, you know, whether my parents, no, no, it's not a price. Never 99.9% of the people that have addiction problems aren't going to be like, yeah, I'm addicted, but fuck it. Like, <laughs> right, they, right. They just, to their mind, in their head, they're not, it's not a problem. Just in their mind, they can stop whenever they right. want. Right, it's like that normal routine for them. They just don't want to stop. Right. Like, oh, I, I can't stop if I wanted to. And it's like, no, you can't. Right. Whether it's your friend that has a drink every day at the, after work, that's how, you know. So I've had friends that every day after work, they're like, oh, it's just one beer after work. I'm like, yeah, bro, until it's two beers. And then the next time it's three beers. And I hate that. The first thing I months. think of is it's still cold. <laughs> one beer, two beers, three beers, <laughs> shot of vodka. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, you know, I mean, there's people that are addicted to self-destructing habits. Like, they, you know, not going to the gym or not. You know, and trying to be like, oh, well, I'm putting other matters first, but, uh, you know, like you got to putting my physical health last and it's not eating, the, you know, eating McDonald's or fast food every night of the week. Right. Consistently throughout the week. Right. And some people are addicted to spending money, too. Uh, and that's that again, that's a psychological thing. Also stems for probably being denied stuff in your childhood. So right. that you have the money to buy, which I've been guilty of myself. Same. Like, absolutely. Like, I'm an adult now. I buy whatever I want. You know, that video game done for oh i can smash a whole thing of oreos tonight because i'm an adult right and like shit all day long who's gonna stop me yeah i've had conversations with with, uh with people about that saying oh well why do you buy all this stuff and i'm like you know i never really had anything bought for me like that as growing up you know like like merchandise for for wrestling or you know going to wrestling shows i I never video game collection for that barely even play but i got every new game when it comes out right and it's just one of those things where, uh, again, having the access to it now that we're older and we can spend our own money opposed to our parents spending their money on 
something for us. You know what I mean? And when, when you finally get to that point of, you know, being of age to buy your own alcohol or, you know, that age of buying scratch off tickets, scratch off tickets is another one. Again, spending money. But it's, you know, it's weird. It's, once I turned 21, I pretty much never drank really after that. Yeah. I, I The I, last time I, I drank never... really, like, a lot was my 21st birthday. And that was almost... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like drinking with more... It was more of an allure when I was in high school and, like, the couple, like, the year or two after. And some people just kind of just fell into that I allure. turned 21, I was like, it's just not... Right. I don't know. Like, I've always just, like, I just started smoking more and... That to me, besides how much you can spend on it, it's not really the negative side effects aren't there as much. You know, some people it makes anxiety worse or whatever. For me, it just helps me eat. And, right. You know, keeps anxiety. Well, I don't know if it's you know yeah. keeps the worry down. Kind of going into that the the partying conversation. Um, do you feel the current like not restrictions the the current penalties for for DUIs are enough do you feel like they're too harsh do you feel like uh somebody should lose their license or like right away and not be able to get it back because again I know you've had to experience it but your situation was a little bit different than yeah, an actual like I was you know probably, probably one of the reasons why I really don't drink too much was right after my 21st birthday they tried pulling me over for a DUI arrested me I wasn't drunk blew zero zero at the jail but I've had friends that have gone through DUIs. And at first, you know, I was like, you know, everyone's had that friend. I could drive great drunk, blah, blah, blah. And at first, you know, I, I thought the penalties were kind of harsh when one of my friends was going through it because they didn't have a lawyer. So they got all these fines, no license for six to nine months. You got to pay a bunch of money to get a hardship license. Right. But then through the course of my, when they dropped my DUI to a reckless driving, I had to do a victim impact panel. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty eye-opening when you hear, like, the mothers and fathers who lost kids from people that made that choice to drink and drive. So it's like... And, that, and that's exactly like it. It's the choice thing. The, the thing is, is I feel like the penalty should be harsh because when I got the DUI and knew I wasn't drunk, the only thing I told my lawyer was, I don't care what happens, I don't want a DUI on my record. Because I knew the shit that comes along with it. Right. So I feel like the they should, you know, keep it like, especially because they, they get harsher. God forbid you get in an accident or, you know, because I've had friends that have gotten in DUI accidents and got super lucky and or been on the receiving end. I was going to say, gonna say um, uh, as hard as it is to talk about it, I feel it's healthier for me to to talk about it instead of just keeping back my mind. Like, oh, well, I wish I would have talked about it when we were recording so I could say it now. The girl that took Santi's life refused to take a sobriety test. Year a year later, um, like two months ago, she finally had her license revoked. And you know, in high school, I remember them doing the drunk driving simulating and shit like and that. And it was very violent. And you know, when I think of drunk driving. Uh, I know the intention of those videos is kind of like, oh, well, remember what happens when you drive drunk or could happen. I've driven drunk one time in my life and I will never do it again because I remember feeling so paranoid. I remember just driving as cautiously as humanly possible. Um, And 
with with DUIs now, I feel if there's an accident involved and the conversation of that person was probably drunk because of how the accident happened, there should be no way and no reason that somebody can refuse a sobriety test. That's just me. But I feel like if there's a death involved, I feel 100% she should have gotten a sobriety test. And again, it's, it was a hard conversation for me to talk about out loud. And with, with therapy, therapy has given me the ability to talk about the, these things openly and be able to share my story with you guys. And um, I feel DUI penalties sometimes are enough because there's repeat offenders. Um, and I, I've seen people get the license back after like three DUIs. And it's just one of those things where the fines might not be high enough. You know, the, the courts might not be strict enough. And, you know, all these, all these programs and stuff that they're doing with, with high school kids just doesn't seem to be enough. Drunk driving is a problem. And I, I guess it starts at home, obviously, but it also starts, it also in part goes, goes with the peers that that person is surrounded by. You know, most of these parents, obviously, as, as you've seen, rely on these electronics to babysit their kids and they're watching uh, whatever movie or they're playing whatever game. And, you know, said games have uh, alcohol and substance stuff or same with the movies. And that just kind of gets drilled in the back of their head where, oh, well, this guy's driving drunk, so it must be a normal thing. And the thing is, is like we grew up playing GTA and stuff and driving drunk and all mm-hmm. that on GTA, but we are there was still like a separation of videos and real life and now it's become so integrated yeah with society that it's this generation is i see it with the young like my friends that like have sisters that have kids and stuff that are 15 and under like they're so everything where from school to i remember like the computer lab day was like a special thing in school right now it's like every class has ipads for all the kids to work on like they don't know how to have real conversations with people because they're so used to texting. Yeah. It's just, it, it all stems from that. But I feel the, the DUI penalties are harsh enough because there is people that do drink that one time and get caught and don't do it again because right. they, you know, it sucked. It again, it's circumstantial. And it's like, you can't make the DUI penalties so harsh that it's one time someone fucks it up and they get their life completely destroyed forever. I feel because, like unless they take a life. Yeah, no, that's... And that's the thing. They the the DUI penalties differ when there's when a, there's some like injury yeah. Well, then it'll like be that. DUI with injury that injury slash death right. would be the official right. charge for that. And there's DUI second offense, and it's it's within certain years. Like if you get two of them within five years, it's a repeat offense, and it's like worse than if you wait get your first one and you got another one seven years down the road. Right. So I had to go through. They pretty much. I, they dropped mine to a reckless driving i wasn't drunk i was speeding though and i still had to go through the victim impact panel which was annoying but it you know really did like oh like I, I tell you this i never drink and like i never drink really but if christina drinks or anything i'm always the one driving I don't, right just because it's just not worth it yeah absolutely and uh again it goes back to choice you know it, it's uh you choose to yeah. drink and drive and 
the person that hopefully is with you while you're out chooses whether or not they're going to drive you home be your designated driver luckily i always had parents that were like you know if you're ever somewhere and someone's drunk call us we won't yeah. be mad type of shit right but i was i'd never like as a kid never like i had friends that would drink and drive but i never got in the car with them while they were drinking so i'm like dude that's just not gonna end well right yeah and i've had i've had people when i was in high school uh drunk drive and mm-hmm. uh you know some have resulted in death and obviously you know santi santi situation he ended up gone and uh you know like you said it, it, it's all circumstantial and i feel yeah the dui penalties are are pretty strict but it's a lot cheaper to uber yeah so like exactly just uber you can't afford the uber then you can't and you can't get a designated driver and you can't afford to buy a drink right exactly and you, you know your last 20 bucks at the bar for for anybody who does listen to this episode and knows people that have a drinking problem or any kind of substance problem the best thing you can do is i don't want to say support their habit that's not the right wording uh be there be for there them. for them exactly and you know be with them in their their hardest times because i i know so many people that just kind of bury their friends under the rug over their addictions unless they're physically harming you or causing physical and or psychological harm to your life there's no reason to shut somebody out there's no reason to bury a friendship over uh over their struggles, you know, uh, addiction and mental health, you know, obviously it's, it's a mental health struggle. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to cover it because uh, like mental illness and, you know, all the subjects that we could talk about endlessly on mental health, addiction is probably one of the most stigmatized topics because it's such a taboo subject, kind of like suicide prevention or, uh, uh, just having depression. Uh, it's all those taboo subjects that nobody likes to openly talk about because, you know, you, you shame your friends for drinking while you shame your friends for uh, their pill addiction, whatever it is. And not enough people are, are there for each other. And I, I don't just say this on podcasts, guys. I, I try to practice everything that I preach be there for each other any way you can. You know, I'm not telling you to give your life savings to somebody who has an alcohol problem. You don't got to be there for him financially. Like uh, with the wreck situation, he was, there's times where he knew he had a problem and was fucking up. He was like, hey, bro, you know, just thanks for not ditching me and not not talking to me just because of the shit I'm doing or whatever. So I knew, you know, I knew he was making, you know, the choices he was making and stuff. Yeah. And there's certain people that, just like, oh, that guy's he's wilding out. He's doing this. He's doing that. I'm not going to talk to him anymore because he's making bad choices. And you just, you don't got to support it. Like, you know, I wasn't supporting what he was doing, but I wasn't just going to not try to be there for him. I'd be like, hey, bro, you know, maybe you should he's back relax a little bit, right. you know, skip a day, have breaks. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the most important part. And I, I'm glad that you're able to, openly talk about it because I know it's such a sore subject and I I wasn't going to bring it up just yeah. out of respect for you but, and our friendship but at the same time yeah. I, I'm really happy that you can come to uh, peace with yourself to be able to talk about it openly oh yeah but it's 
It's got to be. Because, I mean, you know, like you said, the uh, the whole stigmatism around I me. Mean, I grew up with my parents like, oh, don't give your money to the bums or they're going to go buy alcohol or drugs with it. Right. And it's like, y'all are buying alcohol or drugs with it, too. You're right. just not homeless. So you're not like. Kind of like that pedestal kind of thing. Yeah. Like the pot calling the kettle black, like because he's homeless in an attic and you're not homeless in an attic. That, yeah. Like that makes it better. Right. And I like, you know you're just functioning. But they like they people don't want to people, you know, they because there's, there's people who are addicts that go to work, maintain their jobs, maintain their house, pay most of their bills on time and stuff, but are still buying pills every week. They're just right. functioning addicts. And I think that because they're functioning, that they're not, a, you know, they don't know. That they're not function. a problem. Yeah. Oh, I don't have a problem. I go to work and pay my bills. My bills are paid. I can do whatever I want after that. Yeah. I mean, like, that's... Yeah, you can do whatever you want, but it's, you got to, sometimes you got to do what you should, whether it's what you want or not. Yeah. And that, that's kind of, my dad's, my dad's a functioning addict. Uh, he doesn't drink nearly as much as he used to, but he was a functioning addict for a very long time. Uh, he would drive home drunk um, more times than I could count. And uh, I remember one time he drove home drunk and he got into an accident on his motorcycle. And uh, I guess the way that he landed a bottle like went through his back. Is it yes to say is that the time where he fucked up his back yeah. on Main Street? Or right. uh, yeah, I think Main Street or Massachusetts. And yeah. the bottle went like into his back. Like, I guess like a couple more inches in, he would have paralyzed himself. He was so drunk, he didn't know he had a gash in his back. And, and you know, a little little graphic for, for my listeners, but um, my brother ended up driving him to the hospital. I think he got like 72 stitches altogether, like inside and outside his back. And he hasn't been the same since. Um, he has driven home drunk probably as long as I can remember. And he was a, a functioning functioning addict. He wouldn't wake up four in the morning and be like, "Oh, well, I'm going to drink a beer." But like, oh, he would go at the go to the bar a lot and drive home be, drunk a lot. He would be subtle. Like my grandfather came home every day from work with a six pack of Ice House, one right. of them already open. That's not a big deal. That's just a six pack after work. I have friends. It's just a beer after work. I just have one beer. Right. Only have one or two a night. I have had friends that like started, you know, oh, I only take one pain pill every couple of days, blah, blah, blah. And even when I was going through with my teeth and got prescribed pain pills, I noticed I would take one one day and the next day, if I didn't take one, I would be super irritable. Yeah. And, like, just really short that's how i was when i had my shoulder surgery Um, i was like i do not even like and i know i have an addictive personality mm -hmm. because of my parents right i just try to focus it on good and well less bad habits right and when i was prescribed the the uh, percocet that i had um i was really paranoid of what percocet would do to me because i don't take pain pills i don't like the idea of pain pills because i've seen what pain pills can do to people. Um, when I took them, I remember we went to New York City and I didn't take a Percocet because we were walking around New York City and you don't want to walk around that city looped out. And I just remember being in so much pain and just so angry because I was hurting so bad. And then, you know, like you said, um, when you take it again, you feel okay. And I, I have an addictive personality, but it's not like, it's not extreme. You know, I, I know when to say when I know my limits on alcohol or whatever it is. And I know how my body reacts to certain substances so I don't take it. Um, 
pain pills I will never touch ever again. I don't care what I whatever happens to me, I will never take pain pills again. Percocet was a terrible experience. I don't know, man. Teeth pain will change that. <laughs> You're right. I'm not like I don't like teeth pain. Nope. Do not deal with that. Yeah. Um, so another sign of addiction is relationship and social problems. Um, we've seen examples of when people are not, you know, drinking or when people are not, uh, you know, high on whatever they're taking yeah. and just kind of like push everybody away because, you know, like you said, if you're pointing out somebody's struggles, you're like, Hey man, like take a break, you know, take it easy. And they get all pissed off at you. Like, Oh, well, you don't understand what I'm going through, blah, 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 blah. And you know, it's just one of those things where, again, you have to have that emotional intelligence to look out for these signs. Uh, another uh, sign of addiction is uh, obviously withdrawal. We've seen people have withdrawal uh, symptoms. Um, I think that's probably the most obvious um, next to um, the substance and behavior change um, would be withdrawals because you can tell when people are not on whatever oh, they're yeah. so accustomed to. Personality is completely different. Right. Super snappy, irritable. Yeah. Um, so physically sick. To, to follow up on a question, when do you feel that addiction should be addressed? Like, is there like a, a line that you draw on when you need, it needs to be talked about? It depends because there's, you know, like, I feel like personally to students and stuff, maybe around like middle school, high school, because that's when they'll start. Well, I guess now it'd be like vaping and, because that's like, I remember I went to a kind of a chartered, like yeah. private middle school. So those kids weren't really exposed to anything, but I had friends that went to public school and we'd meet up with their other friends and they'd be eight, you know, eighth graders smoking cigarettes and shit like that. Cause everything at that point in age is cool. That's you can't do. Yeah. But I also feel it needs to, you know, definitely be, cause there's, you know, a five-year-old kid right now that, dad's always in a bad mood until he takes a sip of beer and he doesn't know that it's beer. He just, Oh, dad drinks this magic drink. Right. I actually remember seeing um, an interview with Ozzy Osbourne where he was like, my dad was always an asshole until he would go to the bar and get this magic potion that I thought was a kid. and He'd come back and be nice as, you know, nice as ever. So I thought that stuff, wow, that stuff's really great and awesome. It made my dad from being mean to being fun and having a good time. Right. And that's, so it's, it's almost circumstantial, but it definitely has to be starting middle school. And I feel when when you notice uh, somebody uh, using whatever addiction as like a uh, like a codependency kind of thing, like you depend on that uh, that high to get you through the day, or you depend on that, like you said, alcohol to make you feel better. Um, I definitely feel when you start noticing behavior changes when. Uh, you should start addressing it when uh, when they're unable to fulfill their obligations as an adult. Okay, so you meant like yeah, we yeah. should bring it up to your friends if you notice. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought, yeah. I, I, I thought you meant wrong. like when, at what age should people? That's, know, that's a, I mean, that's a good answer too. Kids you know? should be aware of like what you know. Because even now, I mean, you try to take a phone away from one of these eighth graders or sixth graders, and they're going to have a panic attack. I mean, it's the same with elementary school kids, man. Yeah, it's, it's their whole world's right. an electronic device. Right. It's not. 
the world was forever a better place when you just went out about your day and come home when the stuff. lights come out. You come home and the, you know you check your messages at the end of the day right. instead of constantly worrying about who's doing what right. and where. That's a big. That's in another addiction thing, like where you're addicted to social media. It's even social media, but like it's always seeing like, oh, this person's doing that. This person, you know, I'm not rich yet. I'm not doing this yet. I need to, you know, and I get trapped into the cycle too, where it's you just like if, the, if none of this shit existed, what would you be doing right now? Right. And that's what I try to like focus myself on. Yeah. If I wasn't, if there wasn't a Facebook for me to scroll down and an Instagram for me to look at, what would I be doing with my time? Right. I mean, when when you think about it, how we grew up, we killed time by going outside and making up, making yeah. up games, manhunt, you know, whatever Watching it was. TV, doing something, reading books. Now it's just like, I get an update and tells me I've been on my phone for seven hours a day. <laughs> right. Like, fuck. And uh, it's just one of those things where, uh, again, it goes, it falls back on on parents um, with these kids, you know. Uh, I, I feel there's there's parents that are responsible for a lot of the uh, lot of addiction problems. Oh yeah, well because as soon as you know, it's this whole world is a quick give me now world. I remember I, I had like a sort of humbling experience. I was at an ATM and I was bitching about how fast it was, like slow it was going. And this old guy next to me was like, "My day, we didn't even have it." <laughs> right. He didn't think for you're not stuck seeing the bank only from nine to five. Right. And I was like, okay, because now this world, you know. I want food, instantly get it on my phone. I want right. to go on, you know, whatever. It, it, everything's instant. I mean, you should look at grocery shopping. Grocery yeah. shopping, you can There's just order on your phone. It's like, oh, I'm feeling sad. Instantly take a pill and get happy. Oh, I'm feeling in pain. Instantly take a pill and now I don't feel in pain. The era of easy access to everything is, yeah. is a plague. Oh, I, I can't so focus. Bad. Let me take something, boom, now I'm focused. Right. Yeah. There's um, no hard work. And, you know, even with the participation trophies and Kids don't know how to experience upset or loss without kids don't know how to be kids. And it completely melts down their world the first time they hear no or can't get something. And the, the crazy part about that they too, just though, is lose their shit and don't is know how to now function. our generation is working on trying to get rid of that, but our parents' generation is adjusting to the next generation of how you know, oh well you can't get hired or you can be hired if you meet this criteria we have to meet a quota we're going to hire you but not hire you you know uh life experience versus uh somebody who went to school and knows absolutely nothing uh again participation award stuff like obviously i worded that a little shitty and you know people that go to school perfectly fine you know whatever you go to college you work your ass off for eight years that's great but I'm just saying more so for the people like Caleb and I and so many others that I know, we work for everything that we have. You know, uh, while we might not be book smart, quote unquote, we have had to experience life by getting hit in the back of the head with a shovel over and over and over. Uh, again, the people that are in school and can complete eight years in today's generation, I, you know, I commend you for working your ass off being able to do that. But some of us didn't have the luxury of uh, experiencing college the way that you did or experiencing college in general. Um, anyway, kind of veering off off topic a little bit. Um, so for for treatment, you know, thankfully, there's a lot of treatment options and there's one two specific 
programs on here that I wrote down just because I've had to go to these meetings with my mom when she was going through her addiction problems, uh, NA, which is uh, Narcotics Anonymous. And of course, there's there's uh, Sex uh, Anonymous, there's Alcohol Anonymous. Me personally, for somebody who has sat through an NA meeting, I don't feel it's something that can work in 2022 the way that I, it's programmed out. I to. did four, I was like alcohol anonymous meetings because of that reckless driving DUI yeah. stuff. And to me, it just felt like a, like just a step to get through like the process. Like there's another thing they need me to do and pay money for, right? you know, just to make them feel like they did something trying to veer you away because like the lady was a nice lady but it was just pretty much everyone else just telling stories about how they got caught drunk driving none of them were like you know what what could you do different oh not drive oh right it it was just a a extra curricular step like those are those people if they went out and didn't drink and drive anymore it wasn't because of the courses it's because of the financial burden that it cost and the inconvenience that it which is great at least something deterred them from drunk driving but the alcohol anonymous course is really i feel like unless you're like willing to accept religion into your life i feel like na and aa isn't for see you know somebody like myself the aa i went to wasn't a really big like oh you should replace alcohol with jesus yeah no not not all programs are like it wasn't i don't know if it was court ordered or what but it was just like you know everyone tell your story about how you got here Oh, uh, you know, you you know. They might also have a different like way of doing yeah. alcohols anonymous opposed to narcotics. Because yeah. narcotics, it's kind of like all the steps are. You know, the the first step is uh, admitting that you have a problem. Yeah. And you so know, then there's the serenity sense. prayer in there too, which you know name drops God, and you know a lot of those people are yeah, open true. arms with religion. So right. in a sense. NA is kind of like going into a religion yeah, and being able to read the Bible and uh, accept all the things that are going on in your life and try to uh, adjust your life around the program that they had built for you. And it's funny because my dad read a lot of the Bible when he was away yeah. the last year and stuff. And I even told him like, <clears throat> the Bible is just uh, it's another, in my opinion, like another codependency thing. Like there's people that, don't stress or have anxiety about anything because like oh like some people would worry about trying to get the job interview oh if i got this job interview i need to get the job right other people oh it's in god's hands whether i get the job or not it's what god wants me to do now that just took all the worry someone that like me or you would have about securing the job if god doesn't want it to be then it's like you know i personally i'm a believer in me yeah i make stuff happen for me and i don't make stuff happen for me right a lot of self-responsibility but it's i'm not going to be like yeah it's because of god that i did this or didn't get this right. like it's you know it's, it's all on you and that's a lot of people that you know it's easier to put the blame or whatever i like the people that can talk about religion but also be realistic about it too yeah and you know the bible is essentially like a guideline for some people you know it's you know uh for me personally, I can't relate myself to religion. Um, it's just not for me. You know, of course, that's not a knock in anybody who does. Yeah, no, people read the who, Bible. But, you know, it helps your anxiety. If you believe God's in control of everything, then so be it. That's right. You know, 
and, right, that, um, and that's pretty much what it's for and then but, while you have me who's you know a realist where uh, anxiety is a psychological thing that has nothing to do with said higher power in my opinion again not knocking in and i have you know moments where like i'll have anxiety about shit but i just try to it's always you versus you right exactly it's always like okay no i'm not like this isn't going to happen this is like i really try to focus like i know it's, it's cliche to say and shit but it's not even so much that i try to focus on the positives i just try not to focus on the negatives yeah yeah and, and for some people that works you know some people uh you know you can just block out whatever negative noise is going on in your life and it's not even that is blocking it out it's just trying to focus on the positive things harder right so like, yeah you can still hear and take into to, you know i guess into consideration the negative things that can and could happen but at the end of the day like you said you gotta yeah, make things like i'm you. not gonna go and get in my car every day you know i try to like there's some people who put the verse into every situation but then they'll go and drive in their car like i'm like oh you don't think you're gonna get in a car accident they're right. like no like well, why do you think about bad about every other situation right you know i don't so you gotta you are you are almost what you focus on yeah so to speak but you're also when people were given those labels as for their whole life, oh, you have anxiety, oh, you have depression. Oh, you're bipolar, you're yeah. this or that. Like, you know, you hear you're depre- you have depression from the time you were 10 to your 25, of course you're going to be depressed because you've been told you have depression now. Right. I know it's more than, you know, there's... Yeah, 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 obviously there's more to that, yeah, but I get what but, you're saying. You know, if you're constantly thinking you're depressed, you're not, like, it's... You got to almost reroute your thinking. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of, uh, I don't remember who said it, but it's kind of like, if you have to constantly say how oppressed you are, are you really oppressed? Yeah. Like, oh, my, my depression. I just, I'm just too depressed today, guys. Or my anxiety. It's right. Like you, you don't have anxiety. Yeah. Like everyone feels nervous about shit. Yeah. And I, and I feel like, uh, you know, the, the not wanting to do anything is a very real experience, but I feel most of the people that go through that that uh, extreme of depression that don't want to go out and don't want to do anything don't really broadcast it to people no you know they're uh, the ones that are like oh i'm just not feeling well today i'm just gonna relax at the house yeah yeah and it's just one of those things where again emotional intelligence uh is a really big part in how you deal with certain situations and depression is one of them you know you have the ability to navigate uh what you focus on like you said it's like um, the you know when you feel like you don't want to leave the house there's some of the times where you got to force yourself to leave. yeah whether it's just going outside to walk around your yard or driving up to the around the block or walking around yeah the block. and you know once you once you set that that routine for yourself to force yourself out it just kind of becomes part of your routine it's like okay well i go out at this time or yeah. Uh, you know, you sit outside for a half hour at this time, whatever it is. Um, so even if it's just like opening the windows and because I feel like some people just lock themselves in and don't get any fresh air and you have to like, I don't know, I guess there's been days where I've just been around the house the whole day and it's like, you just start even feeling more and more like shut in yeah and yeah but that's the thing is today is that we can do that and still feel like we're connected because we scroll on facebook and we see 
everything post and shit. <laughs> so it's like, well, you know, right. But you gotta sometimes just go outside and just, you know, like we're alive. Yeah. Um, so for other treatment options, there's the obvious cognitive behavior therapy, which, you know, is basically regular therapy. Like I go to, um, you know, talk about your struggles and what you're going through and, uh, basically come up with a plan for healing. Um, again, I will stress this every podcast just because I feel it's important to therapy is not for everybody. You have to be able to put in the work. You have to be able to uh, be open and honest with not only yourself, but the person that you chose to try and uh, help you. Um, Then you have, uh, I'm going to butcher this word, so I apologize, the dialectical behavior therapy. I had to look this up because I've never heard of it before. Basically what it is, it's the same exact thing as the the uh, the EMDR uh, therapy where they try to retrain your brain. You know, they basically uh, try to get you to re-experience something and uh, try to change your way of thinking. Or response to. Right, like uh, changing your response to uh, said situations that uh, essentially had you start uh, your addiction. Um, Then you have family therapy. Um, When I read this, the first thing I thought of was intervention. Um, I've never heard of family therapy other than maybe like, parent and child and maybe couple therapy but i guess maybe like family therapy is kind of like intervention i feel like maybe but confronting the shit your parents did to you that's you know that's kind of got you where you're you're started what your addiction you know like oh you did this to me when i was a kid so i just i feel from i mean it's kind of from the looking like looking from the outside in but i've been in it with my own personal experience and stuff too they have to want to not do drugs exactly day. right you, just, you, you literally have to physically choose to not do it right and until you want to do that and i and i feel that that's nothing up. on the outside besides locking them away and right. keeping them like cutting off their access to it and i feel like it kind of strikes up that way, uh which is obviously an extreme so uh, you know just my mom and dad and everyone, they, you have to actively choose to not do it. And until they want to do it, you can you look at all the rich people they put in the super most expensive rehab programs and stuff. People like go to jail for five years and get out immediately start doing that. You have to want to not do it. Right. And, and I know, talk to recovery ones that they're like, I literally have to every day wake up and choose to not do drugs. Yeah. Uh, you know, it kind of strikes up that conversation where uh, that we talked about earlier is the the choice versus disease thing. And again, while it is circumstantial, I feel like a choice is heavily influenced on addiction. And I know that kind of gets into a heated debate with a lot of people who have either experienced the loss in addiction or are going through addiction themselves, uh, themselves rather. And again, it, it, it's, a, it's a very heated topic. I said it's, it's a mixture of both because mm-hmm. of your you could be predisposed to be to you know there's some people who can take drugs and alcohol and and only and not be addicted and not let it control their lives there's right. some people that can't it's a very fine line I and mean, obviously you do you know you no one wakes up and it's just like born well, i mean yes technically you could be but 
no one's like, you know, you don't, when you're growing up five, six, seven years old, you're not a drug addict. So at some point in time in your life, you chose to take something or ingest it or whatever. And whether you got addicted to it because of your dick, you know, the addiction gene ability, whatever that runs in your blood, or just, you you know, repeatedly, people don't realize it, but they're choosing to know, you know, when you choose to have a beer with your buddies every day after work, and then all of a sudden, your buddies aren't there, but you're still going to have a beer because you need to have a beer. That's what you do. Right. It wakes up. I mean, people have, you know, caffeine is the biggest addiction. People don't talk about that. People that are at all don't talk to me till I have my coffee and shit. And it's like, it's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, everything is an addiction at um, some point level. So there is a treatment on here that I, that I wrote down mainly because I disagree with it. Um, maybe it has helped somebody that does listen to this podcast at some point, but uh, the abbreviation is MAT, which is uh, medicine assisted treatment. I think that if you're trying to get somebody off of drugs, the last thing you want to do is give them medicine to get off of said drugs, right? Am I wrong for that mentality? It's It could be a mixture of both because my parents, when I was in like fifth grade, they used to, you know, growing up the first few years I knew them, they would argue a lot. And then for like a few months in a row, they just really weren't arguing anymore. And they were like, yeah, we're going to a doctor's and stuff. So I thought they were going to like some kind of therapist or psychologist. They were going to this place called the methadone clinic. Methadone is another form of opiate, but it blocks other, like you, if you do methadone, you can't go out and do pills and stuff because it won't work. And essentially you're at that point, they were trading one drug for another. And I watched now, and that this may not be true for all facilities and places, you know, across America, but I watched them go there from the time I was in fifth grade till a year after I graduated high school. And the only reason why they stopped was when my Medicaid stopped when I turned 18 to stop paying for my mom to go there. And they cut her down from 330 milligrams, which is a, like what would a normal oxy pill is 30 milligrams. So she was getting 330 milligrams of methadone a day, every day. And as soon as you can't pay them, they start cutting you in half every week. So the next week you get cut in half, the week after that, they cut that half in half and they keep until you're done. And that was like you, they I remember my parents telling me they used to have to beg them to like lower their dosage down. Jesus. Because they're in that game, it's a money game. If you got people that, I mean, you like, think about 52 weeks a year and they went there for nine, 10 years. I mean, that's, 50, that's insane. Yeah, it's 5,200 a year times 10, 15. That's off each person. And it's like, unless, you know, it's, so like, yeah, it, it can help if it, they were to do it effectively and like lower your dosage like every couple months by like, you know, a decent, like a safe amount. Mm. And then eventually where like, oh, you know, you get to like, no, where you don't need it anymore. Yeah. But you still have to actively choose to not go out and do street drugs. Right. Which like, still comes down to the choice aspect of it. Like when I read that as a treatment option, the first thing that came to mind was the the meth clinics that they have in Portland, Oregon. When I first heard of them, I thought it was just kind of one of those things. Oh, well, it's the news. They fabricate something, you know, whatever. They have people go to a clinic and safely do meth 
in what world? Sure, it's not methadone. I'm, not, I'm sorry, not meth, heroin. I apologize. But either way. Say, you sure it's not methadone? Yeah, no, no, heroin. I'm sorry. Okay, like safe um, injection sites or yeah. some shit? Where it's like... In what world do we live in where we... Not inspire, what's the word? We encourage yeah, or, people to do heroin. Or, like, accept it in, like... Like again, I'm not I'm not gonna bash people for their addictions. I'm gonna bash the state the state and or government, government for allowing something like that to happen. Yeah, if you're gonna and do heroin, you might as well do it safe like safely for we got you covered. Like no, how I mean that's kind of like the instead of having safe injection sites, how about you have more rehab and right help, like you know, treatment centers. I just, uh, I, I can't, Counseling. I can't like mentally comprehend the positives of a, me- of a heroin clinic. Like besides being there to catch them as they overdose, that's about the only. Uh, like, I just, I don't know, man. That just, that really rubs me the wrong way. And it's just kind of like, instead of trying to fix the problem, it's more of like, oh, well, people are going to do heroin. Might as well let them do it safely and not, right. you know, which I feel like. There's, you know, like obviously you got to punish people for possessing it and selling it and stuff, but I feel like it should go more than just that, which we spoke about earlier. You get arrested, you get out, you get arrested, you get out. You yeah. Get arrested, you go steal some shit from Walmart, right. you get out. That's just a constant cycle. It's it's crazy. Um, it's a drain on our tax dollars. I'd rather them sort of arresting them every time they cost someone with dope, they send them to a rehab to, you know. Or like help them find resources. Yeah. It's, it's just not and a ag- lot available. And again, uh, going back to that statement of the finding the resources thing is, you know, whether it's mental health, whether it's addiction, whatever you're going through, there are more people. I, me personally, I feel like there's more people in the industry that are doing it for a paycheck opposed to actually helping somebody. It's so much easier to write a prescription to refill a prescription for somebody than it is to actually help them oh yeah i think in 2022 we're in a lot better of a place than we were pre-pandemic in terms of getting people help but at the same time you know when i had my last checkup um they have you write on the application are you depressed and have you had suicidal thoughts and uh etc i never had that growing up They, they never had that uh when i was in high school and uh the time that I almost took my life, they never had any of that stuff. Now, check that you would have been carted off and Baker acted. Right. And now um, they read back your application. Hey, it says that, you know, you have depression or it says that uh, you've had suicidal thoughts. Like, uh, do you need help looking for a therapist or something? And I was a little taken back when she asked me, and I'm like, you know, I I actually have a therapist right now and she's great. Um, But again, 2022 we're in a kind of a better place in terms of finding resources but we can do so much better you know uh like he said with with arresting people for possession or whatever they're getting arrested for instead of just we're throwing you in jail and you know you're going to get released in six months have them follow a program have them get resources that is actually going to help them i just don't understand where our leaders just have that gap where why wouldn't we put more money towards keeping people alive opposed to just letting somebody 
take their own life with addiction or taking their own life with mental health struggles because they're not getting the resources, you know, and, and this whole topic brings out a lot of emotion. I mean, because I've had people close to me who have passed away due to addiction, uh, you know, or, or taking their life. You know, I had a best friend in high school take his life. And again, those resources weren't there. We're in a better place now, but we can always do better. You know, and I feel like a lot of the stuff comes down to like state funding, but I feel like the awareness in our generation and younger is a lot more there. Absolutely. Like, that it's not just some hobo on the side of the road with an addiction problem. That it's just not someone that's depressed and, oh, don't talk to him. He's depressed. So, but I also feel like it's a double-edged sword with that, too, though, is a lot of people use that awareness as just a hashtag, mm -hmm. as just, a, you know, uh, let me post this for attention. Not saying that everybody who's sharing said awareness posts are doing yeah. it for attention. And like, that's, you know, that sucks, but even if they're, people are sharing it for attention at least it's getting out there yeah yeah i it's guess like the people like that buy the band t-shirts that don't listen to the band <laughs> right hey they may not listen to metallica but they bought metallica t-shirt <laughs> and support metallica so right hey i love steven tyler who's that uh the lead singer of the shirt you're wearing <laughs> yeah it's you know whatever yeah um Teach their own. But i feel like the only problem with awareness is more wrong self-diagnosis Right, throwing that like label you'll see, on yourself. You see a commercial. Do you have depression? Do you do this? Do this? And Zoloft is right for you. Right. And you're like, oh no. You go to your doctor with a predetermined. It's like Googling, you know, oh, I have a headache. And you Google why you have a headache. And now you're like, oh fuck, I'm dying. I might, I might have a tumor in my brain because I have a headache. And yeah, I, again, it's just, oh my God, man. It's, you got to bring awareness, but in the right in the right circumstances in the right, right way. way. Yeah. Not like, you know, oh, anyone who feels sad is depressed. And, and the most supposed, important like, part. feel happy 24-7. Yeah. Like, am I, like, not particularly happy today, but I'm not, like, in a bad mood. I'm yeah. not, like, I'm just, I'm just relaxed, like, fine. Like, it's... So the final two treatments I have written down on here kind of go hand in hand, and that's, you know, uh, coming up with an exercise routine and or just changing your routines in general. Uh, I'm assuming in rehab clinics, they have people, you know, just kind of, all right, well, instead of taking pills uh, or taking this pill here, let's substitute it with something else. Or uh, instead of drinking or whatever it is, uh, getting that high for yourself, let's do this exercise instead and you still get that chemical in your body where it's just like all right i don't need that drug today because i got what i needed out of it kind of thing so i feel like um between between the routine change and the uh, dialectical behavior therapy i feel like are very uh very big on on treatment um so before we end today's session what is the best advice you can give somebody that's struggling with addiction? Um, Mainly because, and the reason I ask that is because obviously family members and friends and whoever has gone through said struggles. And with your experience, how would you, what is the best thing you could tell somebody who's struggling with addiction? tell somebody or talk to them about it, whether it's people, you know, whether they don't talk to you after, you gotta, because if you feel like you're alone and can't talk to anybody about it, it's when you're just gonna intensify. Right. And it, 
it's a hard self-realization, but it starts and ends with you. You can't, you might have had traumatic shit happen to you as a kid, something, you know, parents, whatever, abuse on any kind of form, that, you know, that's, that wasn't your fault. But you can't put the, like, oh, I've had this happen to me, so I'm a drug addict. Right. Like, you, at the end of the day, you have to choose to not do the drug. But definitely talk to someone about it because don't feel, you know, you feel like you're all alone and can't talk to anyone. So like I said, but that'll intensify and it'll worsen. Right. But you also can't sit there and just blame it on and act like you're not, you're not helpless. Yeah. Blaming, putting the blame on other people and acting like you're helpless is not a good way to go about it. Right. So before the end of every podcast, I'd like to read a quote uh, that I find um, that's in relation to the topic that we're talking about. So today's quote I found from a Topher Kirby, um, and it reads, you became who you needed to be in order to survive, but now it's time to become who you need to be so you can thrive in life. Change is coming, and it's time to embrace it. I think that's probably one of the most powerful quotes that I've read in a long time, simply because when people are going through a rough season, or a rough trial in their life, that tunnel seems endless. You know, whether it's a financial struggle or it's, you know, problems with your relationship or at home and you're just going through that tunnel. And like today's topic, addiction feels like an endless dark tunnel. We're here on today's podcast to remind you guys, you don't have to be alone. You don't have to struggle by yourself. There are so many people in this world that care about you that you may not realize that they care because of how they word things to you or uh, how they treat you because of your said struggles. I just want to remind you guys that you are so loved and that everybody's life matters as much as anybody else's. You are not any less of a person because you struggle with uh, mental health or addiction. You talk about it you'll find that a lot of people have similar struggles right not the same ones i mean everyone sometimes likes to act like their struggles and their problems like no one else is going through or no one else understands but in reality you can probably throw a rock and hit in a, in a room full of 100 people throw a rock and hit five ten people that have the same struggles or issues right going on similar ones every year situation is unique but you know Growing up with abusive parents is growing up with abusive parents. So yeah, just different variations, but you, you know, you're not alone. Right. And, and you know, of course, I want to remind everybody that it's okay to be not okay. And again, you are so loved and you are needed here. And I want to forever remind you guys to be gentle with yourselves. And Caleb, thank you so much again for being on today's podcast. Um, again, he is one of our moderators in the mental health movement. Uh, page on facebook Um, make sure you like share subscribe on spotify itunes or youtube thank you guys again and until next time be gentle with yourselves